wonderful job, great job. And what about the new stage design? You digging that? Man, that's awesome. I love it. Thanks, uh, thanks to Miss Angie and the team who worked all week to put that together. Uh, every time we get a new stage design, I say it's my favorite, but this one really is my favorite. I, I love it. It's a good deal. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, let me just give you a little warning. Uh, first service went long. Man, I mean, I don't know. It was a baby. We had a baby dedication. That's exactly what it was. I, I did get a text from one of my preacher buddies this morning. He said, you know, we got an extra hour. That means we can preach an extra hour. Hey, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, I'm in a series on breaking free. We're talking about breaking free from the, the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups that are messing up our life. And today we're going to talk about breaking free from temptations, okay? And all of us know about temptation. We face temptation every day on different levels. So today we're going to learn how we can break free from the temptations that are dragging us down and messing up our lives. Our key verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I'm going to read it out of the New King James translation, and here's what Paul said. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, okay? And let me tell you, this whole verse pivots on those words, but God is faithful. And church, let me declare to you today, God is faithful. So say those words with me, one, two, three, God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you might be able to bear up under it. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless your word, honor your word, teach us to take the way of escape that you have provided when temptation comes our way. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because I use it so much. Not only in counseling other people, but for myself. This is a great verse to memorize, to know, to have in your heart. And it's saying at least two things to me. First of all, it says that every one of us faces temptation. It really is man's oldest problem. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. We've all had problems with temptation. I'm tempted, you're tempted, all God's children are tempted. Every one of us. And let me tell you this, it is not a sin to be tempted. Okay? It's not a sin to be tempted because we're all tempted. It becomes a sin when we give in to temptation. I like the old preacher who put it this way. You can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. And that's kind of the way it is with temptation. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus himself faced temptation. In fact, the Bible tells us he was tempted in every way in which we are tempted Yet he did not sin. And that brings me to the second thing about this verse. It promises us that God will provide a way of escape. Now, follow the wording of the text. It says, with every temptation, with the temptation. So the temptation that comes into your life, 
with every temptation, God is going to provide you the way of escape. And it is a singular way of escape. He doesn't give you option door one, two, or three. It is one way to get out of that mess. With every temptation, there is an escape path. And so we need to learn to take God's escape, all right? So we're going to deal today with, with six ways of escape from temptation. Six ways we can escape from temptation. And I'm going to use these six ways in a particular sense. We're going to talk mainly today about the sin or the temptation of a fatal attraction. Man. And I got some help. All right, usually I don't use help in my introduction, but to introduce this particular form of temptation, I've gone way back in history, back to the 1960s, and I'm using a couple of theology professors that I knew, some, some great theologians, Jed Clampett and Jethro Bodine. All right? <laughs> They're going to teach us about this temptation if this thing works. Here we go. Jethro? Yeah, Uncle Jed? Now, if you're going to be keeping company with a girl, is there any questions you like to ask me? What kind of questions? <laughs> no, about girls. How much you know about girls? They softer than boys. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. Generally speaking. And they shorter and rounder. Yeah. And the hair's longer and it smells sweet when you snuggles up to them. Oh, so you've been doing some snuggling, have you? I've done more than that. Yeah, well, I reckon you better tell me about it. Who was she? Prettiest girl in the hills. Big Mouth Bradshaw. An <laughs> old Vernus girl. I hear tell she's kind of fast. Is she ever? Uncle Jed, I was walking past the cabin. And Big Mouth, she calls out the window to me. She says, howdy, Jethro. She says, my ma's just made a big batch of cookies. Come on in and have some. And I says, sure your ma won't mind? And she says, ma's gone, and so's pa. I'm here all alone. Well, Uncle Jed, I was in that house before you could wink an eye. Can't say as I blame you. <laughs> no sooner was I inside, the Big Mouth, she puts a music record on the phonograph machine and commences to sashaying around, a-twisting and a-turning. Dancing. Yeah, I reckon so. Anyway, she says, put your arms around me, Jethro, and I'll teach you the two-step. What'd you say? I says, listen, Big Mouth, I says, here we are all alone, your ma and your pa gone, and you think that I'm going to waste my time dancing? I say, it's not me, sister. Bring on them cookies. <laughs> What'd she say? Well... Jed, you and Jethro can start digging the well. That city woman brought us some punks. That's fine, Granny. We'll get right to it. <laughs> What'd that Bradshaw girl say when you said bring on them cookies? Well, she just held up them cookies like this here kind of blinked her eyes at me and said, Jethro, which do you think it tastes sweeter? These here cookies or my lips? <laughs> well, Uncle Jed, right then and there is when I found out she was fast. <laughs> I grabbed them two cookies 
And it took me two miles to outrun that gal. <laughs> yes, girl. On one of these days, you and me's got to have a long talk. Goodness, thank you, Jethro Bodine. Oh, I wish it was that simple, huh? Yeah, hey, yeah, give him a big hand. That was pretty cool. I, I want to see the number of hands of people who've never seen a Beverly Hills episode. If you, are you here? Anybody in here? Never, I, I knew there would be a lot, a lot of younger people. I grew up with that stuff, man. That's, that's back when TV was good. Kind of. So, uh, you know, I wish it was that simple, don't you? That you could just run. Well, you can, all right? Let's talk about these six ways we can avoid the fatal attraction of sexual sin. Number one, you need to make a commitment that you are going to keep God's standard. Be willing to do in advance exactly what God says. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young woman keep her way pure? It is by living according to the Word of God, which is the Bible. So that brings up a question. Where do you get your values? Really, the values that you're going to live by, the, the values that you're going to build your life upon, where do your values come from? I'm talking about your personal values. What authority are you using to build values in your life? Popular opinion, what everybody else is doing, Dr. Phil, Oprah, huh? I want to submit to you this morning that the best place and the safest place to get your values is to consult the creator of the universe and look in God's instruction manual, the Bible. This book has stood the test of time. It's provided guidance year after year. And this book, the Word of God, will not lead you wrong. So here's what you got to do. You've got to make a commitment. This morning, you need to make a commitment to do whatever God tells you to do in His Word. It doesn't matter what your buddy does or what someone else says or what CNN puts on the news. You're going to make a decision that you're going to live by the Word of God. And what does the Word of God say about Sex outside of marriage. Well, let me tell you, it says a lot, okay? Now, if, if you're uncomfortable this morning with me preaching about sex, you're not the only one. <laughs> I almost wore sunglasses in here today, all right? You know, here's the deal. It's all through the Bible. In fact, if I were to read to you today the passages that are in the Word of God that deal with this subject matter of sexual sins, we would be here all day. Because it's from cover to cover. God had a whole lot to say about it. Jesus had a lot to say about it. Why? Because he knew that this is a temptation that brings in and encompasses all of us. We all deal with this. So let's just get over the fact that it's a Sunday morning at Kavanaugh Church and I'm preaching a sermon and the subject matter is sex. Let's just get real. And let me be real with you and just read a few of the verses of what God says about 
the sexual temptation, having sex outside of marriage. The first passage is 1 Thessalonians. It's going to be chapter 4. God's will is for you to be holy. So who are the yous in this room? Raise your hand if you're a you. Okay. Come on, everybody. Everybody, I'm not going to go on to you. Raise your, everybody raise you. God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sins. And again, what he's talking about there, every sexual sin. He's talking about premarital sex. The Bible calls that fornication, having sex before marriage. It's talking about adultery, having sex outside of marriage. It's talking about homosexualism, lesbianism. It's even referring to bestiality and every other form of sexual sin. Stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. Not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. Okay, So here it's talking about a, a husband who violates another husband by having adultery with this other husband's wife. It could be turned around to the woman. All right, So don't do that. For why? The Lord avenges all such sins, as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but that person is rejecting God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. That's pretty intense, is it not? Pretty plain. You want to get plainer? Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's what Paul said. You say, I am allowed to do anything. But you know what? Not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He goes on to say, you say food was made for the stomach, the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. And just a quick time out, that's what they were saying in the town of Corinth. That you know what? It's just, it's just a body part. You eat food. You digest it. It goes out of your system. And just like eating food, having sex is the same thing. It doesn't affect you. Just like eating food doesn't affect you. God is saying, no, you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. Why? Because they were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about this human temple that you're living in. He cares about our bodies. And God will raise us up from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Jesus Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? And again, he, when you hear the word prostitute, you're thinking of a woman standing on the street selling her body. It, again, it is referring to any sexual sin outside of marriage, okay? So should a man do that? Should a man give himself to someone who is not his wedding partner? The answer is 
Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one with her body. For the scripture says, the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So whenever you do those sexual sins, you know what? You're not just doing them on your own. You're bringing the Lord into that sin. Wow. So run away from sexual sins. What do you do? Jeffro Bodine, man. You're just like Jeffro Bodine. Dude, you run away from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. You want to know why this is a big deal with God? Right there. No other sin clearly affects our human bodies as this sin does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your vessel, which is the body. One more, just a singular verse from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Let there be no sexual immorality. And again, that is a word that describes any sex that is outside of the bonds of holy matrimony between one man and one woman. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you, church. Such sins have no place amongst God's people. That's what God says about it right there. God says sex is a gift that I have given to mankind, but it is a gift between one man and one woman who have been united together in holy matrimony. It is my gift to them, and anything that is outside of that is a sin. Bottom line. Some of you say, well, <laughs> if God really loved me, he wouldn't restrict my freedom. He'd let me do whatever I want to do. And you say, well, that's crazy. You know what? That's what the Corinthians were saying. If God really loves me, he would let me fulfill the, the fleshly desires that I have. So let me just ask you, how many of you got kids or grandkids? How many of you love your kids or grandkids? Okay? If you have them and you love them, will you just let them do whatever they want to do? Whenever they want to do it? No. Why? Because you love them. And because you love them, you have set boundaries. You have set rules and restrictions to protect them. And until you settle that God's word is the standard for your life, let me tell you, and understand that God has given you this because he loves you, you're going to be falling for every temptation that comes your way. The devil's going to tell you, good Christian person, that it's okay for you. You're an exception. No, you're not. It's what the Word of God says. So in order to avoid these fatal attractions, number one, I've got to make a commitment to keep God's standard. Number two, if you're married, you need to maintain your marriage. Really, th this is the greatest insurance for a happy home life. So if you're married, smile at me if you're married. If you're married, you need to rekindle that fire. 
You say, preacher, the pilot light's gone out. Well, relight that pilot light. (laughs) You need to rekindle the fire. You need to rekindle the romance. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18 and 19 says, Rejoice, older translations say, with the wife of your youth. You rejoice with the wife of your youth. Let her charms and her tender embrace satisfy you. I use this translation for the first service because there's a lot of old people in there. Uh, really, the, the verse says, let her charms and her breasts satisfy you. <laughs> let her love alone fill you with delight. That's what the Word of God tells us today. Now, you know, contrary to popular opinion, God is the one who made sex. It wasn't Hugh Hefner or Playboy. It was God. And God says two things. Number one, rejoice with the wife of your youth. Rejoice in your wife alone. The word rejoice in Hebrew means glitter, sparkle, get excited. When you look at your wife, guys, your heart needs to be thumping. You rejoice with her. Why? Because she is your wife. You rejoice with him. Why? Because God gave him to you. The first time Adam saw his wife Eve, you know what he said? She's a fox. No? Because anyway. Oh, sorry about that. It just came to my mind. She's a babe. He was taken back. You know, actually what he said. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She's mine. Wow. And then it says, not only rejoice, but it says, be satisfied. You be satisfied with the one you're married to. You know what that means? Flip side of that, don't compare. Don't compare. Don't compare your mate with someone else. You know why? Because there is no such thing as a perfect mate. Are you with me? Some of you are thinking, well, maybe I married the wrong guy, or maybe I married the wrong girl. Maybe maybe they're still out there. No, they're not. Let me tell you something. The grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is greener where you water it. And if there were more courting in marriages, there would be fewer marriages in court. So keep your love alive. Keep your love alive. Man. Rejoice in your mate. You take care of your mate. You hear me? You take care of your mate. I didn't put this on the screen because I didn't know if I was going to read it. I need it on the screen to see it. But let me just read to you what 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Paul is talking to, to believers, to Christian couples, husbands and wives, okay? So if you're a married couple in here, this is what, this is what Paul said, 1 Corinthians Chapter 7, verse 5. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So husbands and wife, let me tell you, love each other. Rekindle that romance. Maintain your marriage. Never give the devil a foothold into your life or your 
bedroom. Y'all are quieter than the first service people. Where are my sunglasses? Number three, to avoid fatal attractions, you need to manage your mind. You need to manage what's going on in your head because you know why? That's where temptation starts. Let's talk a moment about that, where temptation starts, how it works. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, temptation is the pull of your own evil thoughts and wishes. These thoughts will inevitably lead to evil actions. So here's the deal. The battle begins in your mind. If the devil gets your attention, then he's going to get your feelings. And after he's gotten your feelings, then he is going to get you to act upon the temptation that he has in front of you. And when it comes to these sexual temptations, you might say, well, you know, I'd never do that. Sometimes I think about it. Sometimes I fantasize over it. But I would never act it out. If you think that, who in the world are you trying to kid? Watch how this works. Y'all have all been around salesmen. This is how how sales works. First, they get your attention. And then they move from the mental stage to the feeling stage. Oh, put this coat on, preacher. Man, it, it just, it feels so good. And man, it looks good on you. You see that? Or take a taste of this Rocky Road ice cream. Isn't that smooth? Doesn't it taste good? Or he pitches you the keys to that good-looking pickup truck that you've had your eye on. Take a ride down the road in this truck. Man, it is responsive. It is a great truck. And you know what? If they get your feelings involved in it, you're a goner. Thoughts determine feelings. Feelings determine action. So the key is to change the thought when it's in the brain. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 28, anyone who looks upon a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You know what that verse is telling us? Adultery starts in the head long before it gets to the bed. Lust is this desire to possess The guy that I thought about throughout this whole sermon as I was writing it was King David. Y'all remember King David? Later on in life, when he should have been out with his entire army fighting the enemy, we find King David at home in his palace. And he went out and he looked out over his balcony at his kingdom and his city. And he happened to look down and on top of a house, this beautiful, gorgeous lady was taking a bath. And I don't know exactly what he saw, but let me tell you, he saw enough. Now, here's the deal. If David would have just seen Bathsheba down there and then quickly turned his head and went back into his chambers, it would have died right there. He could have said no right there, but he didn't. He looked, he lingered, he went back in, and lust controlled his heart and mind, and he devised a plan And that plan brought Bathsheba into his bedroom chambers. He committed adultery with her, which led to murdering her husband, Uriah the Hittite. That's how it works. The initial arousal wasn't sin. 
The sin was that he went in and did something about it. He made a plan in his home and he brought his lust out. So you need to manage what happens in your mind. You need to stop it right there. To do that, number four, you need to monitor your media intake. I'm trying to be as practical as I can this morning, and and I see this. Man, you need to monitor what you allow into your head. We are in a sex-saturated society. We are bombarded by visual and verbal stimulation every moment of every day. In advertising, sex sells. It sells anything from banjos to batteries to, to bananas. You know, it doesn't matter. I'm pretty sick and tired of watching a football game, and then all of a sudden, here comes this commercial, and it's, it's all sexual, sexual impulses everywhere. And you know what they're selling at the end? Dog food. Anyway, that's just me running. Why? Because lust is big business. Isn't it? I mean, I'm just being real today, isn't it? You turn on the radio and you listen to love songs. You know what? Most of the love songs you're listening to are not love songs. They're lust songs. You pick up a magazine or a novel. It's not about love. It's about lust. Michigan State University did a study not long ago, and they discovered that the average teenage girl will see 1,500, 1,500, 1,500 sexual acts or references to sexual acts on the movie screen or on the TV by the time she graduates high school. The boy who is the same age, 100 less. They said because boys don't watch nearly as many soap operas. I I don't know about that. but It went on to say 94% of all sex that is on TV between people are people who are not married. Let me tell you, we need to monitor our media. and We need to be careful what we're letting into our head. Why do I say that? Well, the Bible says that the eye, your eyes, are the gateway to your soul. Matthew 6, 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, then your whole being will be full of light. But if they are bad, then inside of you, your entire being is going to be full of darkness. So what you see is what you become. And every time you look at that screen, whether it's the screen in your living room on your TV or the big screen at a movie theater or the screen of your computer, or even the little screen of your telephone. Whatever you look at on that screen in visual cover, color is going to come off of that screen, and it's going to get stuck in your brain. Scientists confirm and tell us that we never forget anything. If we visually see something, it gets stuck in our subconscious. That's why... You've been sitting right here at church, and all of a sudden, bang, that image came to your mind of a naked person. You're thinking, where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. That movie you watched six months ago, In Living Color. Psalms 101, verse 3, David said, 
I will set no vile thing before my eyes. I'm not even going to look at it. Church, if you're serious about getting victory over this area of temptation, let me tell you the truth of it. You're going to have to stop watching about 80% of the junk that you're watching. Some of you might be saying, dude, you don't, you don't know me. I can watch that stuff and it doesn't affect me. It doesn't touch me. <laughs> really? Really? I mean, who, who in the world are you kidding? The way you think determines the way you feel. The way you feel determines the way you act. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. It says, run from anything that gives you evil thoughts. You run from it. But stay close to anything that makes you want to do what is right. So you know what this means? This means that you're at your house, you're sitting in your, your easy chair or on the couch, and, and you got the flipper, and you're watching a movie, and then all of a sudden, something that is inappropriate comes on that screen. And it's right, listen, it's right there in your living room. It means that, you know what? You're not going to allow that evil into your mind into your heart so you're either going to turn it off or change channels it means that you go to the movie and you spend we never did determine this how much how much does it cost to get into a movie these days about 10 15 bucks depends if it's a matinee or an evening and then and then dude if you buy popcorn and a coke you spend a hundred dollars you know are you with me and you're sitting in there, big screen, movie theater is packed, but all of a sudden, something that is inappropriate comes on the big screen, and the Holy Spirit of God, who lives inside of you, says, uh-uh, you don't need to be watching that. You know what you do? You get up and walk out of there. It doesn't matter how much money you've spent on it, you walk out of there. You don't let that come into your soul. What does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So let me tell you something, dude. If you're serious, you've got to monitor your media intake. Garbage in, garbage out. What you put in your mind is what's going to become the basis of how you live your life. Number five, in order to avoid these fatal attractions, you need to minimize the opportunities for temptation. If you want to avoid the fatal attraction, don't allow yourself to be in situations where you can fall prey to that temptation. Matthew 6, 41. Jesus said, keep watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So Jesus said, you do two things. You keep watch and you pray. Two very unique preventive techniques. First, keep watch. It means be alert. Be wise. Know the situations where you are tempted. Know what gets you off track. So are you aware of that? Are you aware in your own life what gets you? You know, what may get me might not get you. What tempts me may not be a temptation to you. But brother and sister, I'm telling you, Everybody in here is old enough to know what gets them. And even though you, you, there's no way you would say it out loud, you know what I'm talking about. 
Maybe you wouldn't even say it to your spouse, but you know exactly what I'm talking about today. You know what? You, you need to be aware of that. Don't get yourself into that situation. Don't go to those websites. You stay away from that temptation. I told the first service a story that's not in my notes. It's about a friend of mine. He doesn't go to our church, but he's a good buddy. He's a, he's a school teacher. He's a Christian man. He was telling me about, uh, about being in a situation at, a, at an event where he was with all these other school teachers who happened to be women. He was about the only man. And after the event was over with, they were going back to their individual motel rooms. He was approached by two women who propositioned him. These two school teacher women said, come up to our room and we'll have sex together. And he said, <laughs> number one, it blew my mind. Nobody's ever said anything like that to me. And I, he said, <laughs> what do I do? And you know what he did? He ran. He basically did. He did a Jeffro Bodine. He ran. But he prayed. He was praying. God, give me the right words to say, help me out of this situation. And he, told, he ended up telling him, there's no way I'd do that. I love my wife and my kids too much to do that. I'm not going to do that. And, and that's the advice that Jesus gives us here. Keep watch and then pray. What do you do when you're caught off guard? What do you do when you get a surprise attack from the devil? You pray. You whisper a prayer. You say the prayer out loud. God, get me out of this mess. You minimize the opportunity. Can I, just, just off the cuff, it would be better for you to change jobs than to commit adultery against your spouse. Somebody needed that because it just came out of my mouth right there. Minimize the opportunities for temptation. And then that leads me to number, and how many did I have? You're saying, thank God, it's about over with. Number six, you magnify the consequences. Ask yourself with every temptation, no matter what it is or what level it's on, you ask yourself the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it for me to commit this sin? Is it going to be worth it? I mean, temptation is incredibly short-sighted, especially immoral temptation. There are enormous consequences in breaking God's laws. I've been a pastor for well over 30 years. I have heard, like, look at me, I have heard every story that could be told. Now, it, this is sad, okay, and, and I don't mean it this way, but it, nothing surprises me anymore. I mean, I've heard it all. But let me tell you, when it comes to this, I've never heard a good story. When it comes to immorality and sexual sins, there is nothing good that comes out of it. I have heard the hurtful cries and the damage that has been done to people emotionally, spiritually, relationally, mentally. When we break God's laws, we don't break them, they break us. And there is always the residue. There is bitterness and guilt and disillusionment and strains in relationship and hurts. There is the break of fellowship that we have with God himself. And we have the judgment of God on our lives. And let me tell you, it's just not worth it. it it's not worth it. it it's not, I don't care what society says, it ain't worth it. I don't care how good looking she is, it ain't worth it. I don't care about the sweet things he's saying to you that your husband hasn't said in years to you. It's not worth it. 
When the devil is tempting you, he says, it's okay. God has made an exception for you. This is no big deal. What he's doing is maximizing the benefits and he's minimizing the consequences. But that's not what God says. God says you need to maximize the consequences because they are big. Now let me back up and just say this. The Bible tells us there is pleasure in sin. And there is. I mean, let me tell you, look at me. If sin were a bummer, nobody would want to do it. But there is pleasure in sin. You know the rest of that verse? Only for a season. If sin comes into your life, let me tell you, it may be enjoyable, but there's a payment that you're going to have to pay for it. It may be a kick, but there's going to be a kickback. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. This is God's will for you. He wants you to be holy and completely free from immorality. Why? Because the Lord will punish those who do such wrong. Let me tell you something, church. God takes a hard line on this. God is serious about this. You say, well, preacher, I know people who are committing adultery and doing all kinds of sexual sins, and, and they're getting away with it. God hasn't brought judgment on their life. Could I remind you that God does not settle all his accounts within 30 days? The Bible says, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, he will also reap. So it's inevitable. What I sow, I'm going to reap. What I sow in my life, I will inevitably reap in my life. It's just a matter of time. So I magnify the consequences of giving in to the temptation. But at the same time, I also magnify the consequences of resisting the temptation and the benefits of that. Look at this verse. James chapter 1 verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under temptation, who doesn't give in, who doesn't say yes. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the victor's crown. The life God has promised to those who love him. So there's the promise right there. The result of resisting the temptation is a crown in heaven. It's a reward. And the life that God has promised to those who love him. I, I don't know about you, but, but I want to gain that crown, man. I want to gain that crown. Some of you are in this room right now and you're saying, uh, good sermon preached, but... Man, it's a little too late for me. I wished I would have heard that 10 years ago or, or 15 years ago or, or 20 years ago. Look at me. Like every other sin, this sin of sexual immorality can be forgiven by God. God will forgive it. God will cleanse you and he will wash you and God will set you free. But you've got to ask him for that forgiveness. You've got to come clean. And I don't know what it is about these sexual sins, but we, we privatize them. And, and most of the people that I know who have committed sexual sins never really come fully clean of the whole thing. They hold parts of it back. God says, you need to come clean. You need to ask for the forgiveness. And when you ask for forgiveness, you will receive forgiveness. And then you need to forgive yourself. 
And you probably need to ask other people for forgiveness too. Man, I've, I've, I've spent my whole sermon on this side of this sin. There, there's a whole other side over here that we haven't even talked about. What about the spouse of the one who has been betrayed? What about the wife of the husband who's committed adultery? What about the husband of the wife who has slept with someone else? What about them? Is there hope for them? Yes, but let me tell you, look at me. It, sin messes up a whole lot of things, guys. Sin messes up relationships. Sin messes up families. There is a corruption that roots into that family. There is a lack of trust that that spouse now has for the other spouse. And let me tell you, God can forgive. God can heal. God can restore. But it takes truth and it takes transparency. And it takes a whole lot of grace from God. But you can have it today. You can start brand new. God offers his forgiveness. And to our teenagers, we talked last week about having a plan because you're either going to follow your plan or your plan, you know. Can I say to our teenagers who are in this room, would you please wait for God's best for your life? Our society today says, whatever feels good, just go ahead and do it. And I don't, Nathan, I'm so out of youth ministry and culture, I don't know the cool terms anymore. But in my day, you know, if you didn't have sex, you were a nerd, you, you were uncool, you know, you're, you were prude. People make fun of you. Y'all even heard that word prude? Anybody, any old folks out there like me remember the word prude, right? And that's what the world says about you. And there is a constant pressure for you to give in and to have sex with anybody you want to have sex with. Let me tell you something, guys. It doesn't pay. If you have sex now before marriage and you don't wait for God's best, you will deal with the consequences of that for the rest of your life. You'll be coming to preachers like me saying, I need help with this because I can't get over this. It's ruining my relationship with my spouse now. So just say no. I'm going to end this. <laughs> I'm about to end this. You say, hey, Amen. By standing before you and saying this, and, and I told the first service, you know, I, I, I ought to learn not to be so big, bad, and bold to say stuff like this. Because when I get big up here and say something bold like this, on Monday, the devil is knocking on my heart's door saying, okay, you were tough in the pulpit yesterday. Let's see how really tough you are in life. Because let me tell you, you cut me, I believe, just like you. I'm a man, but here's what I'm saying to you this morning. With the grace of God helping me, I plan on for the rest of my life being faithful to the one God gave me, faithful to her. And I can give you the reasons why. Number one, it's because I love Jesus Christ with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus has told me, if you love me, Will, you'll keep my commandments. So Angie, I'm going to be faithful to you because I love Jesus more than anything else. Reason number two, I'm going to be faithful to her because I love my wife and my kids and my grandbaby 
And I would never do anything to hurt them. And if I committed adultery, it would destroy my family. Number three, I'm going to be faithful to her because I love you. I love this church. It's my church for life. And God has given me the leadership of pastor in this church. And you know what? When a pastor messes up, and pastors mess up, it not only affects them, it affects the flock. It hurts the church. And I would never do anything to degrade or demoralize the flock that God has put under my care. I love you too much. But number four, and probably the biggest reason why I'm not going to do it, is I fear the wrath of God. <laughs> really, I do. I fear the wrath of God. This is a serious issue with God. In fact, God said in Proverbs 16, 6, the man who fears the Lord will avoid evil. And so I have a healthy, reverential fear of God. It is a fear that says God does not let people get away with this kind of sin in their life. Why? Because it destroys this sin destroys. It will destroy your body. It will destroy your family. It will destroy relationships. Sex is powerful. It's a great gift God has given. But if you misuse it and abuse it, it will destroy you. So, how do you avoid a fatal attraction? How do you live pure in an impure world? How, how do you remain sound in an unsound world? How do you remain moral in an immoral world? How do you remain spiritual and godly when you are being bombarded constantly and everybody is saying to you, you know what, do your own thing. If it feels good, do it. Well, I'll tell you how. You, can, you make a commitment to God's standard. You say, I'm going to live by this book. You maintain your marriage if you're married. You manage your mind. You monitor your media intake. You minimize the opportunities and you maximize the consequences. And like me, <laughs> you come down to the altar this morning and you humble yourself before God. And you say, God, boy, I need your help. Would you do that today? Maybe you need forgiveness. Maybe you need to be set free. God will do that today. Maybe as a couple, husband and wife, you need to come down and pray for your home, your marriage, because it's on shaky grounds. It's not where it needs to be. You need God's help. Let me tell you, if you're here today and you've got a teenager or a kid that you're raising in your home or even a little bitty baby, you need to be every day praying for them because this ain't the same world you grew up in. It's worse. If you run out of things to pray for, come and pray for me. <laughs> I need it. Heavenly Father, please help us. We've heard your word of truth and it has spoken. You have spoken, dear Lord, very loud and very clear. We know what the word of God says. I pray, dear Lord, that we would align ourselves under the authority of the word of God. For those who need to come and pray for forgiveness... I pray that they would come. For those who need to be set free from the bonds of sexual immorality, I pray that they would come and do so. Lord, for teenagers 
who have been tempted, I pray that they would come today and just, just settle it in their heart that they're not going to have sex until they get married. Lord, for homes, families that are crumbling and need stabilization, may they come and pray today. Lord, just as you lead us, may we come and pray. In Jesus' name.